Hey, I'm Steph, and this is Not Today. Hello and welcome. Oh my god, you guys, I have some exciting news. Drum roll, please. Our merch shop is officially live. Oh my god, I can't even believe those words are coming out of my mouth. This has been such a long time coming. I've been working on this for so, so long, and I'm really excited about it, and I hope you guys love these designs just as much as I do, because I am truly obsessed. But I feel like I should probably tell you a little bit about what you're going to find in our lovely merch shop should you choose to go look at it. We've got a bunch of different t-shirts and sweatshirts, some embroidered, some printed, with our two new logo designs that are so, so cool. My inspiration behind it was the idea of cheating death. So one of the designs has Grim Reaper scythes you know, the thing that the Grim Reaper holds and they're kind of in an X and then in the middle it says not today podcast. And then the other one is like a screaming mouth. And the idea behind that one was kind of like it was a battle cry. And for our sweatshirts, we've got an embroidered one that says just keep breathing and yeah. And of course not today because hello. And I am beyond obsessed with our tote bag because I love a tote bag, but it's got a really cool screaming mouth on it. And then on the back, there's this little parachute guy that I am in love with. We've also got an embroidered hat that says not today. And I will say that it is a very good baseball hat. Coming from a hat girly who has tried a lot of different baseball hats, it's a really good one. I'm proud of this hat. And everything has so many different color choices except for the tote bag. So there's really something for everyone on there. But something I did want to mention was it seems like our sweatshirts do run just a little bit small, but I did include sizing charts for all of the wearable products. So check that out just to make sure you're getting the right size. But yeah, as I'm sure you can tell, I'm just really excited about all of it. Alex and I got our samples in the mail not too long ago and we've been testing them out and they came out just better than I could have imagined and I'm in love with all of it. So this merch is definitely going to be my personality for just a little bit because I'm obsessed with it and I won't take it off. But I guess I should tell you where you can find it. If you would like to check out our merch shop and support the show, you should head over to nottodaypodcast.myshopify.com. So that's just nottodaypodcast, one word, dot M-Y-S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com. And I'll put that in the description as well, but... Just so you guys have the spelling, I thought I'd put it out there. Also, it's the perfect time for holiday shopping, so keep that in mind as well. But anyway, thank you so much for indulging my shameless self-plug, because listen, you gotta do what you gotta do out here. I worked hard on this stuff, and I'm obsessed with it, so I'm just a little extra excited. But anyway, with all of that said, why don't we jump into this week's story? April 20th, 2022 started out as any other day for Nicole Lenway Ford. Nikki was a forensic scientist for the Minneapolis Police Department and had worked an overnight shift the night before. When she got home that morning, Nikki had to get her five-year-old son Callahan to school before she went to sleep for the day. Once awake, she then had to pick him up from school and drop him off for a scheduled visit with his father that night. This was a very typical day in her life for her. Callahan had visits with his father at a supervised parenting center called FamilyWise in Minneapolis, where they lived. 
It was around 7 p.m. that night that Nikki returned to the Family Y Center to pick up Callahan from his visit. When she pulled into the parking lot, Nikki got out of her car and began walking up to the building. At the same time, Emily Clancy had been driving home from having a dinner with a friend when she spotted a person running up to Nikki from behind. She then kept watching as she heard two bangs, and Nikki fell to the ground. She thought it looked like a robbery or something of that nature. Was it a mistaken identity? Was she mugged? Was it drug-related? She had no idea. All she knew was that it happened very fast and looked bad. After shooting her a few times, Nikki's attacker ran in the opposite direction away from the scene of the crime. Nikki, who had just been shot multiple times, tried running into the family-wise center, but they wouldn't let her in. Once they heard the gunshots, the building had gone into lockdown. So when she realized she wasn't getting into the building, she called 911. And I totally understand why they locked those doors, especially because there were children inside, but I also can't imagine how helpless that must have felt and how terrifying that must have been for Nikki, knowing that her attacker was somewhere very nearby. As soon as the light Emily Clancy had been sitting at had changed, she pulled her car up and through the intersection and over to the curb to ask Nikki if she was okay. Emily opened the passenger door to her car and yelled out, are you okay, to Nikki, who had collapsed on the pavement. Nikki told her, no, I've been shot. She had been shot at point-blank range two or three times. Nikki said this about her attack. Quote, I'm halfway between my vehicle and the door, and this person comes running up from behind me. Shots were being fired. I fell to the ground, and the shooter stands over me and continues to try to shoot. I felt my neck and then could see the blood. While she was on the phone with the 911 operator, Nikki was having trouble breathing and could barely get out any words other than her name. Emily, who was still watching at the curb in her car, called Nikki to get her into her car. And that's when Emily took over the conversation with the 911 operator. The dispatcher told her to take a jacket and put it around Nikki's neck to stop the bleeding as best she could. Thankfully, within only minutes, first responders were on the scene. When they got to Nikki, they could tell that she had been shot in the neck and arm, and she was in a lot of pain and was having a very hard time breathing. Emily knew that Nikki was really scared. So as they sat in the front seats of her car, she looked Nikki in the eyes and told her, we've got this, just stay with me. She wanted to make sure that in that moment, Nikki didn't feel alone. Nikki was then walked to the ambulance where she was loaded onto a gurney and once inside the ambulance, she fell unconscious. So strange that they made her walk to the ambulance, especially seeing the state she was in, but I guess she was lucid enough to do it, so... It was faster than loading her onto a gurney straight from the car. Either way, she made it into the ambulance before she fell unconscious. She was then rushed to Hennepin County Medical Center. Nikki's then-boyfriend, MPD officer Donovan Ford, was at home when all of this happened, but it didn't take long for him to hear about it. Almost immediately, the news ran with the story, since Nikki worked for the Minneapolis Police Department. Police thought it was possible that the shooter had something to do with Nikki's work, since she did work for the Minneapolis Police Department as a forensic scientist. Typically, I wouldn't think of someone going after a forensic scientist, since they're more behind the scenes, but Nikki knew that it was a possibility when she took the job. She just never thought that it would happen. Nikki's boyfriend rushed to the hospital as soon as he got the news. He was in a complete panic, and he wasn't prepared for the state Nikki was in. She was barely conscious and had tubes down her throat. 
The doctor told him that she was in critical condition, but they were going to do everything they could to save her. Given Donovan's law enforcement background, when he heard that she was in critical condition, he knew Nikki was close to the end. Nikki had a perforated lung, severe damage to her vocal cords, and a bullet lodged between two of her ribs. People who got shot in the places she was typically didn't survive. And if she did survive, doctors didn't know if she would ever talk again. As doctors rushed to save Nikki's life, her colleagues at the police department were outside the FamilyWise Parenting Center rushing to figure out what had actually happened. At the scene, they found three discharged bullet casings on the ground, as well as blood. They quickly learned that Nikki had been at FamilyWise to pick up her son, who had been on a scheduled visit with his father, Tim Amaker. Officers caught up with Tim as he was finishing up his visit with his son Callahan. Tim had been at the center for hours at the time of Nikki's attack. Tim Amaker was well-liked in the community. He was a respected local Taekwondo instructor. At the time Tim found out about the attack, he seemed worried about Nikki. And he was told Nikki was in pretty serious condition, which is when he told officers that he had an idea as to what could have happened to her. His theory was that it had something to do with a case that she had worked in the past. Tim said that Nikki had been worried that someone was following her. She believed they may have been stalking her and driving by her house. Nikki had apparently changed her last name to her middle name, she shut down her social media, she had officers drive by her house all the time, and she had Tim bring by his shotgun to her house. Which is a pretty compelling story, especially because it seemed this shooter was so random. But at the same time, officers didn't find any obvious connection to Nikki's other cases. Since Tim Amaker was Nikki's ex-husband, of course they were going to look into him as well. Although, as we know, Tim had a pretty solid alibi considering he had been in a public place with his son for hours before Nikki was shot. Even still, while Tim was still at the FamilyWise Parenting Center, the police searched him for weapons as well as his Jeep. They didn't find anything in his car, but they did ask him if he had any other cars. He told them he had just the Jeep as well as a Dodge Challenger. And after that, since Tim wasn't needed anymore, they let him go and continued looking for evidence at the scene. Their next step was to canvas the area and search for any security cameras that may have been pointing at the attack. They quickly discovered that cameras from FamilyWise, a bank across the street, and an elementary school around the corner had caught every second of the attack, from the moment the shooter ran up to Nikki to the actual attack itself, and then the shooter fleeing on foot and then getting in the car and driving away. So every single moment was caught on camera. On the video, you can see Nikki arriving in the parking lot of FamilyWise, getting out of her car and walking up to the building. But as she was walking, you can see someone dressed in all black running up from behind her. You would then see this person as they shot Nikki two or three times as they were directly standing over her before they flee on foot in the direction they came from and got into a black Dodge Ram truck and sped off. The truck had no license plates and they couldn't tell who was driving. The next day, Nikki regained consciousness in the hospital, and that's when she told police she was sure she knew who was responsible. Nikki was certain her attack had something to do with Tim. She didn't know how he was involved, but according to her, he was involved. She didn't recognize the shooter, however, she could tell that it was a woman who shot her. 
Emily Clancy, the driver who picked Nikki up after she was shot, thought that the shooter had been a male, but Nikki said she was certain it had been a woman. Tim Amaker and Nikki had a really tumultuous relationship when they had been together. Nikki had first met Tim when she started going to his gym in 2012. She said at first she wasn't very interested in Tim, but he was persistent. And after a while, he wore her down, which is when the two started dating. Very romantic. Once the officers were officially together, Nikki started to enjoy their time together. And by 2014, the two had moved in together. Tim was older than Nikki, so there was a bit of a power dynamic there since he had experienced more life than her. Tim Amaker, as I said, was a Taekwondo master, and he was a very good instructor and highly respected by his students and by the general Taekwondo community. Pat and Claire Zelmer, who were close friends of Tim's, said that everyone in his Taekwondo school would refer to him as Master Amaker, both in and outside of the school, even after they graduated. People gravitated toward him. He was very charismatic, driven, good at what he did, intense, and he had this ability to draw people in and make them feel a connection with him. Another big part of Tim's life at the time was his love of nightlife. Charlie Detlov knew Tim as well before he met Nikki and witnessed that side of Tim firsthand. Charlie first met Tim in 2001 when he moved into the house next door to him. Charlie said Tim was a pretty good neighbor and a decent friend, but he did have a few quirks. He loved fashion and partying on any random night, and at any given moment, Tim had a new woman in his bed. According to Charlie, Tim had a system where women would pull up to his house, and if the front light, which had a purple bulb in it, was on, they knew they could come in. That is a pretty unbelievable system he had set up. He had set this up with God only knows how many women, that if you pull up to my house and the purple light is on, you can come in. Purple means go. But also, what man has that much game that he has a laundry list of women just pulling up to his house and coming into his house if a purple light is on? Like, he must have been really good at what he did. I don't know. Interesting. The purple light system was, of course, before Nikki, but Tim's womanizing didn't stop after he started dating her. Tim's friend Claire said she tried to warn Nikki about Tim's womanizing tendencies, but that didn't really do much. Nikki said she knew there were red flags, and soon those red flags escalated. Tim and Nikki constantly fought each other. According to their friends, they were in a perpetual state of argument that was on the brink of an actual fight at all times. Although Claire and Pat never saw Tim become physical with Nikki, Nikki alleged that Tim did become violent with her. He allegedly threw her up against a wall while holding her neck, and on one of their trips to Vegas, Tim, who was very drunk at that point, threw a lamp across their hotel room during one of their fights. Nikki said she felt trapped, and she didn't know how to get out of the relationship, and in that hotel room, she had to lock herself in the bathroom. By September of 2015, Nikki was 26 years old, and she had had enough of Tim. She packed her bags and began walking out of his house, but he allegedly grabbed Nikki by her ponytail and threw her back into their bedroom. It was in that moment that Nikki knew she was done with Tim. After that incident, Nikki moved out, and not long after that, she was replaced when an 18-year-old student of Tim's moved into his house. 
18-year-old Colleen Larson was renting out one of Tim's rooms in his house. Colleen had begun studying with Tim at his Taekwondo school since she was barely a teenager, which just makes it all the more creepy. Tim's friends said that Colleen was a very sweet girl. She was smart, and it seemed as if she was infatuated with Tim. He was her instructor for around 10 years at that point, and even though she had graduated from his school and had become his roommate, she still called him Master Amaker. Part of me is like, yeah, when you have called someone something for so long, it is difficult to make that adjustment, especially when it's a person who was like in a place of power, you looked up to them, you maybe had a little crush on them. But also, once you move into the person's house and you're like their roommate, I feel like you could probably be on a first name basis. Also, calling someone master Amaker just makes it so much of a power imbalance, like That makes it really weird. It's also weird and gross because she had known him and had been his student since she was barely a teenager. And now that she's 18, she's living with him. And I'm sure it's not a shocking thing to find out that like soon their relationship is going to take a turn and become something that isn't just student teacher, if you know what I mean. I mean, Tim's track record is pretty telling. So the whole master Amaker thing is just weird. It's so gross. Tim's friends compared her to a little puppy wanting to impress its master. It seemed like she was still very much a child in that regard, which made sense because she was only 18 at the time, and Tim was not only much older than her, but had been an authority figure in her life for many years. Colleen was ecstatic to be living with a man she had idolized since she was so young. As for Nikki, she wanted no part of being in Tim's life anymore. However, that unfortunately got thrown out the window when Nikki found out that she was pregnant. When she told Tim the news, according to her, Tim said to get rid of the baby, but she told him that she couldn't do that. That's when the state of panic set in. Tim's friends were thrilled to learn that Nikki was pregnant because for a normal couple, that would be momentous news. But things, as we know, were not normal. When Tim realized that Nikki was keeping the kid, he switched up his tune real quick. Nikki still didn't want anything to do with Tim, but she said, quote, He essentially told me if I didn't change my mind about reconciling, he would ruin my reputation, do what he could to take my son from me, try to lose my job so I wouldn't have my career, and that he would take me to court to take my son. Which isn't the most romantic thing to say to someone that you're trying to win back. You're basically threatening them into a relationship with you, which isn't working. But he's quite literally saying to her, if you don't get back together with me, I'm going to ruin your life and take your son. I can't imagine a worse thing to say to someone to try to get what you want. He was very manipulative, but clearly he wasn't very good at it in that regard. He just kind of terrorized Nikki and hoped that he would get what he wanted by being an absolute menace. Despite everything, Nikki was extremely happy. She had her son on June 20th, 2016, and named him Callahan, and surprisingly gave him the last name Amaker. Nikki was Callahan's primary caregiver, but sometimes he would stay with his dad. The co-parenting thing was working for a time, and she felt like it could potentially keep working, but Nikki was disappointed when Tim wasn't always reliable when she needed him most. 
He went on a trip to Thailand and missed major holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas, and he would just leave at any given time, and she couldn't rely on him to be her son's father. But even though Tim wasn't the most hands-on parent, Colleen Larson, his new 18-year-old roommate, was happy to help with the baby. She was very sweet with Callahan and seemed to be a good caregiver for him. With Nikki working unpredictable hours with the Minneapolis police, the arrangement seemed to be working. Colleen didn't mind watching Callahan because for a young woman who was infatuated with her instructor, she kind of got to play house a little bit. And according to Tim's friend Charlie, when Colleen turned 18, the relationship between her and Tim began quietly changing, like I mentioned previously. According to Charlie, Tim called the relationship with Colleen easy which is a very slimy thing to say. But Tim never really had feelings for her. But it was apparent that she had fallen in love with him. Even still, Colleen called Tim Master Amaker. And according to Charlie, Colleen kind of became Tim's maid or servant. In the summer of 2017, Nikki's life changed once again when she met Donovan Ford. The two first met on a burglary call since Donovan was an officer and Nikki was a forensic scientist. Donovan said he immediately noticed Nikki because she was so beautiful. And likewise for Nikki. To the two of them, it was love at first sight. At the time, Donovan was divorced, and he knew that Nikki was a single mom. So the two began seeing each other, as adults do. It was also at that time that Nikki's already difficult relationship with Tim only got worse. Tim had found out that Nikki was dating Donovan and that he was becoming a part of their son's life. And he didn't like it, which is interesting, considering he didn't seem too concerned about Callahan before. But once he learned that Nikki had been dating a new man, suddenly Tim wanted Callahan all the time. Tim didn't want Donovan around his son and even accused him of saying negative things about Colleen. Tim began calling Donovan and leaving him aggressive voicemails as well as accusing him of destroying his family. These confrontations ignited basically a war between the two couples that was very drawn out and treacherous. Nikki claimed Tim tried to take everything from her and destroy her life. And she believed he would because at that point he had begun turning to the legal system to try to get custody of their son. He said he would make her life living hell and he meant it. A year into Nikki and Donovan's relationship, in June of 2018, Nikki's garage door was vandalized with a vulgar phrase regarding her dating a cop. She definitely knew who was behind the message on her garage door, and since Tim was going to come by at some point that day, she opened the garage door. That way, you couldn't see the phrase on the garage door. But when Tim arrived to pick up their son, he went outside to the detached garage and closed the door as if to reveal the message to himself. He then berated Nikki about how her relationship with Donovan was putting their son in danger. And that's just him telling on himself because the message was not clearly displayed. He literally went outside and closed the garage door so that you could see the message and then yelled at Nikki to say, see, people are out here spraying things on your garage door and that's not safe for our son. As a last-ditch attempt to win Nikki back, Tim invited her on a trip to Las Vegas in August of 2018. But after she refused to go with him on that trip, he filed for custody of their son from Las Vegas. And that would be the last of many attempts that he made to win her back. It's so clear that he was just punishing her with what he was doing when he didn't get his way. 
it seemingly had nothing to do with their son and had everything to do with punishing Nikki. When the trip to Las Vegas didn't work, he began reporting Nikki to Child Protective Services multiple times and filed numerous motions to get her to appear before a court. He accused her and Donovan of physical and sexual abuse of Callahan. During that time, Nikki had CPS in and out of her home for a three-year span because those are not light claims that he was making. At the same time, he filed for custody of Callahan and Nikki filed for an order of protection from Tim. Things had gotten extremely messy very fast. The allegations against Nikki continued even after Tim moved to Colorado for a year and wasn't even in contact with Callahan. Not a single one of the allegations filed against Nikki or Donovan were found to have any substance. And Tim's friends agreed that there were absolutely no signs of any abuse. Callahan was a well-loved child, according to them. But Tim didn't stop there. He also filed complaints to the police department about Donovan, which led to just another investigation. But once again, nothing was found. In May of 2018, Tim alleged that Nikki had run over his foot with her car, which was when she was charged with domestic assault. She had to show up in court as the defendant, which she never in a million years thought that she would have to do. The jury thankfully found her not guilty in less than 15 minutes, which is pretty telling. But the worst of it was that Callahan was in the middle of all of these fights. Nikki said she could tell that her son was very conflicted about the whole situation, which is completely understandable because he was so young. And you have no idea what Tim was telling him behind the scenes. He's also way too young to like completely understand what's going on. And I'm sure Nikki didn't want to completely talk badly about Tim in front of him because that's just damaging to, to Callahan. So it is a very sticky situation. And like I said earlier, according to Charlie, Tim's friend, this ongoing one-sided war between Tim and Nikki was never about Callahan. It was always about how much damage he could inflict on Nikki. In January of 2022, Tim was finally granted unsupervised parenting time. But after the first overnight visit, Tim made another abuse allegation to Burnsville PD. Callahan, who was then five years old, told a social worker that his dad coached him on what to say and that the abuse never happened. Judge Sheeran Ascalani ruled that prosecutors can show the jury that statement and the boy would not need to testify. When asked by a social worker why his dad wanted him to say those things about Nikki's boyfriend, Callahan responded, quote, to get him out of the house. Pretty cut and dry. Before Tim could even have a second unsupervised visit with his son, the judge revoked those privileges and allowed only one supervised visit per week at FamilyWise and ordered Tim to pay for the visits in full, which seems very fair to me. In that trial, Colleen Larson testified on Tim's behalf, claiming she saw signs of abuse, but when it was over, the judge awarded Nikki sole legal and physical custody of her son with just the one supervised visit Tim could have with Callahan per week. But that's, again, pretty telling that even after Tim made all of those claims and had Colleen Larson testifying on his behalf, the judge still awarded Nikki sole legal and physical custody of her son. So these claims were obviously based in nothing. Tim wasn't allowed to have any contact alone with his son, and cops thought that may be a motive for Tim to want Nikki dead. 
When the police looked closer into Tim Amaker, they learned that he had actually lied to police officers on the evening that Nikki was shot, which doesn't seem very shocking to me. But he told the police that he only had two cars, his Jeep and a Dodge Challenger. However, that was untrue. Tim also owned a black Dodge Ram truck, which was the exact same make and model of the truck the shooter had gotten into before driving off. That was really telling because according to one of the assistant Hennepin County attorneys, homicide detectives want to know what vehicles everyone involved in the case has because it is very common for a car to be a key piece of evidence. The fact that Tim Amaker had lied about his truck was very compelling evidence, but at the same time, black Dodge Ram trucks are very common cars. So police called Tim in for a second interview to chat about his truck. Investigators showed Tim photos of the truck the shooter had been in as they drove away. And of course, Tim told them that that wasn't his truck. Tim claimed, first of all, his truck had a license plate and a Superman decal sticker near both of the front doors, as if either of those things couldn't have just been taken off of his truck. But on top of that, Tim was inside of the Family Wise Center when Nikki was shot. So even if it was his truck, that didn't answer the question, who shot Nikki? But when police officers asked who else had access to the truck, he told them that Colleen Larson did. And to his knowledge, she was the only person who had access to it other than him. To investigators, it seemed like the pieces of the puzzle were starting to fit together quite nicely, because Nikki had said she believed the shooter was a woman. Tim insisted Colleen would never hurt anyone, especially Nikki. When Colleen was finally brought in for questioning, she insisted she was nowhere near family-wise at the time of the shooting. She said she came home from work, took a shower, and that's where she stayed until Tim got home, as she normally did. But police didn't believe either one of them. So that's when they turned to FBI Special Agent Richard Fenner, who is a technology specialist. He discovered that Tim's truck had Wi-Fi, and like a cell phone, that creates a digital trail. So he used that to figure out everywhere he and Colleen had gone the day of the shooting. That wouldn't be too difficult considering both of their cell phones and the black Dodge truck left a trail of digital breadcrumbs. On the afternoon of the shooting, both Tim and Colleen were at the Taekwondo studio. Around 4 p.m., Tim left to go to FamilyWise for the visit with his son. The whole time, Tim had been driving his Jeep. Later, Colleen left the Taekwondo studio in the black truck to go back home. But just after 7 p.m., the black truck left Tim's home and went straight to FamilyWise. Turns out, Colleen wasn't home all night like she said. Detectives placed her directly at the scene. Not only did the black truck go there, but on the security footage, they caught Colleen walking around the area before Nikki had arrived in a way that suggested she was planning out her next steps. Not so slick. Police were able to get a search warrant for Tim's home, where they found bullet casings that matched the ones they found at the crime scene. So on April 28, 2022, Colleen Larson was arrested and charged with first-degree attempted premeditated murder. But that left the question, was Tim involved? Detectives definitely believed he was, but they had to prove it. 
Agent Fenner believed that Tim had deliberately altered his truck's appearance, and turns out they were right, because several hours before the shooting, they found surveillance footage of Tim driving the black truck through a KFC drive-thru, and already, at that time, the truck didn't have the license plate, nor did it have the Superman decals, suggesting that Tim was aware that the decals and the license plate were not on the car. So for police, that was enough which is when they arrested Tim and charged him with attempted first-degree premeditated murder, as well as aiding an accomplice after the fact. Since he had helped Colleen after the fact and lied to the police on her behalf, he was just as responsible as her, even though she was the one who pulled the trigger. When Nikki heard that Tim had been arrested, she was not at all surprised, but she was surprised to find out that Colleen had been arrested as well. She had always felt like she and Colleen had a pretty good relationship, so that was obviously jarring to hear that the girl you left your son with many times before was the one who pulled the trigger. When Colleen was questioned again, she confessed to police that she was the one who had shot Nikki. When police asked whose idea it was to kill Nikki, she also told them that it had been Tim's idea. He had allegedly told Colleen that Nikki was abusing their son, and Colleen believed him. It seemed like Colleen genuinely cared about Callahan because in the interview, she said she just, quote, wanted to help the little man. And that's just sad because clearly this girl is listening to this man who she has been infatuated with for her whole life and desperately wants his approval and love. So when he tells her that Nikki is abusing her son, Of course she's going to believe Tim. She loves Tim. Tim wouldn't lie to her. And that's when she definitely took things too far. Like, it's still her fault that she pulled the trigger. No one forced her to do that. But it seems like she was highly influenced by Tim. She also told police that after the shooting, it was Tim who disposed of the gun. Meanwhile, Tim continued to deny any involvement. On November 3rd, 2022, Tim Amaker's trial began. Prosecutors knew that they had to prove to the jury that Nikki hadn't been abusing her son, and it was Tim who had been victimizing Nikki for a very long time. And he had. He put Nikki through 10 years of hell. All of the court appearances, the allegations he threw at her, CPS visits, that had gone on for 10 years by that point. I watched the 48 Hours episode they had on Nikki's case, and they tried to interview Tim Amaker's defense attorney, but they refused to give an interview, so they consulted a different defense attorney, Matthew Torano, and gave him Tim's case to speak on. And he said that they had no direct evidence connecting Tim to the shooting, and he had a rock-solid alibi. Prosecutors needed to build their case by focusing on Tim's lies and his past treatment of Nikki since they didn't have any real key piece of evidence that tied him to the shooting. They had a lot of circumstantial evidence, that being the truck and all the lies he told, but they didn't have any evidence of him buying a gun or doing anything like that. In the trial itself, the defense called no witnesses to the stand, most likely because they were betting the prosecution hadn't made a compelling enough case. The prosecution, however, called Nikki to the stand. She told the jury everything about what happened and how her relationship with Tim went. She spoke about when and how they met and how Tim became abusive toward her. And although she was fully healed and able to speak, she showed the jury the permanent scar to her neck and forearm from the bullet wounds and said she is no longer able to sing. 
When the defense cross-examined Nikki, Tim's attorney spent a lot of time focusing on her role in a 2015 case that she worked on and claimed that she had tampered with DNA evidence. And that somehow that related to her being shot nearly seven years later while picking up her son. Nikki's attorney addressed the issue in redirect questioning, saying, quote, your work doesn't even involve DNA. And she told the court no and that she had never tampered with evidence, and then she said it was embarrassed to be accused of that in a courtroom considering it's her career and she worked really hard to get to where she was. She said, he's trying to undermine my future and harass and hurt me. As the jury went out to deliberate, the prosecutors were sweating a little bit. There was a chance that Tim was going to walk, which would mean Nikki would have to continue living in fear. After an hour of deliberation, the jury came back into the courtroom with a verdict. They had found Tim Omager guilty on all counts. Nikki and everyone in her life were so relieved to hear that Tim would be put behind bars, including his friends that I mentioned in the beginning, Claire, Pat, and Charlie. They were also relieved for Nikki. Nikki almost couldn't believe that the nightmare was finally over. At Tim's sentencing, Nikki was finally able to get her closure and give a statement to the court about what she had endured for so many years. Tim, who didn't speak in his trial, decided he wanted to speak at his sentencing, hoping that he could convince the judge to be lenient with the sentencing. According to Nikki, Tim's statement was completely erratic. He blamed everyone but himself and showed absolutely no remorse, which doesn't seem very surprising. But the judge thankfully could feel that, and she said to Tim that he had been promoting this false narrative that Nikki had been abusing their son for so long that he may actually believe these lies at this point himself. She sentenced him to 18 years in prison. And that's kind of a mic drop from the judge. She's like, you've been spouting these lies off for 10 years, and you're at the point where you probably do believe them yourself, but you're simply wrong. And by the way, you're also sentenced to 18 years in prison. So, sorry, but also not sorry. Just four days later, Colleen Larson pled guilty. And instead of giving a statement herself, she had her attorney read a pre-written statement. She took full responsibility for all that had happened and said that a simple apology could never take back what she had done. She was sentenced to 16 and a half years for doing what prosecutors said was Amaker's bidding. Nikki said she believed Colleen wanted Tim's love and approval so badly that she was willing to do anything. Nikki said she was living in a delusional fantasy land where she thinks if I wasn't around, they could run off into the sunset together with Callahan and be a happy little family. And it kind of does seem that way. Attorney Matt Triano wondered if Colleen had been controlled by Tim for years. Tim had been her Taekwondo master since she was 12 years old and they had been in this dominant, subservient relationship for years. One of Tim's old girlfriends also came forward to talk about her experience with him a little bit, and she said that Tim had a hold on her as well. She said she was certain she would never kill for him, but that she saw a bit of herself in Colleen Larson. She also felt the intense need to do what she had to do to get him to approve of her and want to be with her. And again, that's very telling that this ex-girlfriend would come forward and say, okay, yeah, I wouldn't kill anyone, that's for certain, but at the same time, I kind of see myself in Colleen because I was in that situation and I know what it felt like, and he has a lot of pull. He has a lot of influence. So while part of me doesn't feel bad for Colleen Larson because she was an adult at that point and she did make that decision, 
I also kind of feel bad for her because clearly she was just surrounded by a very wrong person. So there is that. It's it's not very black and white. It's There's a gray area there, is what I'm trying to say. But with good behavior, Tim Amaker could be out of prison by 2034. Nikki said even though Amaker is behind bars, she doesn't feel totally safe, and she never will. There will always be some part of her looking over her shoulder. Which makes sense, because clearly this man just wants to punish her and wants her dead. And that's just terrifying. Donovan was also hugely affected by the whole thing. He was terrified that he would lose the love of his life, and he still feels fear along with Nikki. Since then, Donovan and Nikki have gotten married and had another child together, and now Callahan has a little sibling. Nikki said that Callahan at this point does know that his father tried to kill her, and he surprisingly took it better than they expected. That's one of those things that's really sticky, because how do you know when is the right time to tell your son the truth about that situation? But I guess they made that decision, and he took it as well as he could have. Hopefully he's in some counseling or something, because that is not light news, especially for a small child. And just as a little ending note, Emily Clancy and Nikki have seen each other since the shooting, which I'm sure was a very emotional meeting, because Emily Clancy was a really big part in the moments after Nikki's shooting. So anyway, that is the story of the survival of Nicole Ford. I honestly feel relieved that Tim is behind bars for Nikki's sake, not only because she was shot. I mean, obviously, that's a huge, terrifying, life-threatening thing that happened to her. But also, 10 years before the attack, he was making her life a living hell. He was doing every single thing in his power to terrorize her. Even getting the legal system involved, accusing her of abuse of her own son, filing for custody so many times, just making all these false claims. That must have been the worst time in her life. And it was all because of him. So it's definitely good that he is put away. I hope he stays there for as long as he possibly can. And I definitely wish nothing but the best for Nikki and Donovan and their children. But anyway... That's all I really have to say about that. Why don't we move on to something that is a little bit lighter, a bit of a palate cleanser, if you will, and I'll tell you something good. My good thing is that it is Thanksgiving this week, so that's pretty freaking exciting. I get to spend some time with my family and also have my mama's stuffing, which is, I mean, just a good thing in itself. So I'm very excited for that. I'm also excited because every Friday after Thanksgiving, my family has the tradition of putting up our Christmas tree and setting up all of our ornaments, and we listen to all the Christmas carols and all the fun stuff, so I'm definitely looking forward to that as well. And of course, my other good thing is that our merch is finally live, so again, just another shameless self-plug, head over to nottodaypodcast.myshopify.com and get your merch. It's the holidays, baby. Buy someone a sweatshirt. Keep them warm. It's nice and cozy season. But anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. Head over to Patreon if you'd like access to all of our bonus episodes and if you'd like to vote on the next upcoming bonus episode, that is patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival that you'd like to send to us and possibly hear on an upcoming listener's episode, send it to knowtodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is nottodaypodcast and a Twitter that is nottodaypodcast, the T on the end of podcast is a three because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. 
Yeah.